It has been said that every person has a book within them, the story of their life, the events that shaped them, the passions that moved them, the people that influenced them, the moments that impacted them, even the faith that transformed them. And through these stories flows joy and sorrows, disappointments and delights, countless twists and turns, all interwoven to create a never-before-told, one-of-a-kind story. The story of you. It's a story still being written by you and by God, day after day, line after line, storylines, write good things. Once upon a time, there were three, am I good? No, yes. Help me out there, Brent, am I good? All right, we're going to start over. Once upon a time, there were three little bears who lived in three little houses made of hay, sticks, and bricks. One day, a wolf came to blow their house down, but he couldn't because he had just eaten grandma and was all out of breath. But then Goldilocks came along and gave him an apple, but it was poison, so he fell asleep, and when he woke up, he was a little guy named Grumpy, but he had six friends, and he was holding a bean, so he planted it, and it grew into a beanstalk, but he wasn't tall enough to reach the limbs, so he looked around, trying to figure out what to do when some girl let down her hair, so he started climbing up that hair, but he realized if he could just cut it off, he could spin it into gold. But he needed some help, so he found some little elves who took their hair, but instead of turning it into gold, they turned it into shoes. He was disappointed at first, but it turned out to be a good thing, because then some princess with only one glass slipper came by, and they were able to sell her some shoes, which prevented her from having having to marry the prince, which, when she kissed, actually turned into a toad. The end. Fractured fairy tales. They actually became a thing back in 1959 with the uh, advent of the Rocky and Bullwinkle show. And so we, you didn't have to raise your hand, all right? But uh, this is just for the grandparents who have joined us here this morning. Uh, the Rocky and Bullwinkle show. And... Uh, that is not me, guys, I promise. I'm going to switch mics again, all right? But anyhow, I thought I'd go ahead and start with fairy tales here this morning because we are you know, in kind of kids' world in talking about these different things. But I was thinking about fairy tales, and I was thinking about uh, all the things that go with nurseries, and I was, or kids, and I was thinking about nurseries, and I was wondering, well, I wonder if anybody, like, has done their nursery, like, in a fairy tale motif. And so I went and found these online. So these are some ideas here. Like, you're a little kid growing up in fairyland. Isn't that really sweet? And that's, you know, that's kind of, yeah, that, the first one's a little bit tacky, and then it goes to this. You know, hopefully your child really likes pink, 
And uh, so there, I think we have that supposedly Cinderella. Well, there we go. There's another option for that. Your kid can grow up um, or, or be, you know, first years of his life. Could you slow down there a little bit? I have some great commentary here. And we're just blowing through these pictures. So anyhow, well, just go to the next picture since we're there. Can you imagine being a kid and growing up in this crib? Every time you wake up at night, there's this weird bird, like, like that. And I was thinking, all these things kind of seem girly, though. What if you got a boy? How about this? Yeah, isn't that great? You know, grow up in a castle. And then, then there was this one nursery that I found where obviously the mom didn't decorate it, but the, but the dad did. Here it is. There you go. How would you like to wake up every morning to have Mario hanging upside down from your ceiling? But uh, we, we talk about these uh, fairy tales that are part of life. And I thought that might be a good place to start this morning because the goal of the fairy tale is what? To live happily ever after. And all of us would like to live happily ever after. Even more than that, you know what we'd like? We'd like for our kids to live happily ever after as well. But you know, the truth of the matter is, none of us are living fairy tale lives. And none of our kids are really going to live fairy tale lives either. And we might want to, oh, there's one last picture here. This was from Penelope, because you know, if you're not a baby anymore, but you want to have a great room. How about that? Tim and Tesla, that's what you got to work on there, okay? That's just for you. But when we talk about fairy tales, most of our fairy tale dreams really are better described as fractured fairy tales because it's just not playing out the way that we'd expected. And even sometimes as parents, it doesn't play out the way that we expect them. And we have this thing where as parents, we want to protect our kids, and I get that, and that's probably smart. At the same time, it might be good to give our kids some, some skills to live with and to have in their lives when their fairy tales get a little bit fractured here. See, the bad news is this morning is that we live in these fractured fairy tales and they're never going to be completely perfect. They're never going to be the ideal. But there's good news this morning too. And the good news is this, there's plenty of hope that our stories and even our kids' stories can be better than what they are right now. But I want to focus us right now just on us and just on your story, because after all, this is the story of you. And we want you, I want you, God wants you to live the best possible story that we can. And so to help you with that, I want to go back to the very beginning of your story. Now, the very beginning of your story is not the day that you were born. And it's not the nursery that you grew up in. Which, by the way, does anybody remember your nursery from when you were a kid? Think about that one, parents. It's not really for the kids, is it? All right, it's for, it's for the parents. I don't remember anything about my nursery. I do remember a couple of stories that I was told. First of all, when I went to sleep, I used to rock back and forth, like up on my knees, and I'd rock back and forth to go to sleep. But evidently, my crib was on wheels, and it would move the crib across the room, and I would essentially lock my mom out of the room. And, uh, and then me and the stuffed animals, we'd just have a party because uh, it was just us. Uh, when I was a kid, too, the other thing they told me about is I used to crawl around, but when I crawl, I put my head down right on the floor. And we had carpet in our house, and so I had like this rug burn, and like it like burned off all the hair on the front of my face. Like maybe somebody should have stopped me before it did permanent damage. I, I don't know, just just a thought. But when you go all the way back in your story, you don't go back to when you were born. You actually have to go back to when mankind was born. And so we got to go all the way back to Genesis chapter one. So I want to invite you to turn me with me there to Genesis chapter one. 
Because that's where your story actually starts, because your story starts with the story of Adam and Eve. Now, we've been talking about this idea of, of um, the story of you. And last week, we talked about the idea of that we want to be our real selves. And so many people in the world go around, and they put on faces, and they, they try to act certain ways, and they try to keep up appearances so that people will think that they're one way. When in actuality, there's somebody else. And actually, we do that to ourselves sometimes. Where we try to fool ourselves into thinking that we're different from what we really are. And we say we need to get back to our real selves, kind of. Because our real selves may not be the selves that we need to be. We actually need to get back to our authentic selves. And the authentic self is who God actually created us to be and who God actually wants us to be. And our authentic self, even as we have our five kids up here on the platform, that authentic self is who God sees when he looks at those children. And it's who God sees when he looks at us. Everything that we can be. Well, we kind of just left it there when we got to the end of the service last week. So I want to pick up from there and run from it because this today is what it actually means to be your authentic self to be the person that you were created to be. And so we go back to Genesis 1, though, to find out what that is. So we're going to read here in just a minute. Let me give you a backstory. This is very familiar to, to most, if not all of us. But Genesis chapter 1 is the story of creation. And a day at a time, God actually forms this world. And every day he adds something to it until we get to the, to the sixth day when the world has been completely created with the exception that man hasn't arrived yet. But it's all ready for man, and God places man on the earth. And we pick up the story in verse number 26. It says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock, over all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. And that's the Three times in two verses there, we get that idea that God created man to look like God. So he created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And we learn some really important things just from these two simple verses. First of all, you were created by God. You're not some random happenstance that was out there. But the implications are pretty good here. That means that you have value and you have purpose because God in his wisdom looked at this world as created and said this world's going to need you right here and right now with what I'm giving you and the potential that I'm giving you and so we were all created by God we're not some random hampersets and secondly though we were created to look like God and that's an interesting comment isn't it because God is a spirit and so when we usually think about looking like God, we look at kids sometimes and say, oh, you look just like your mom or you look just like your dad. You didn't look at Adam and Eve in this story and say, oh, you look just like God physically. Because God, as a spirit, has no body. And so when the story tells us that they look like God, what does that mean? Well, it has to mean that they look like God in their nature or their inner being, or, and I'm going to introduce a word here that we're going to use this morning, or in their souls. And so it was their souls that look like God. Which brings us to a third point here, and it's this, it's that you were created as a spiritual being with a soul. 
Now, I want to, well, let's keep, let's jump ahead to chapter 2. Chapter 2 is actually a, it's a repeat of chapter 1 where you get more details on certain part of the, of the story. And so we get more details on this creation of Adam and Eve. And it says in verse number 4 of chapter 2, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. No shrub had yet appeared on the earth. No plant had sprung up, for the Lord had not sent rain on the earth. There was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground, all setting the stage for this next verse. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And so this is where we see that man is actually given a soul. So God took man, he formed, well, actually God took dust or dirt and formed him into a man. But as he formed him into a man, it's just basically a lump of clay that's lying there. And then God says, okay, I'm going to breathe into this man, and the man becomes a living being. Actually, the King James Version there says man became a living soul. And that's like, oh, yes, that means that that was the spiritual part of man. Well, kind of, because that soul was also used to describe back in chapter 1, verse number 20, that same word was used to describe the animals. And so the animals have a soul, man have a soul, and they're not the same thing, but they're kind of equated in this verse. And you're like, well, that doesn't totally make sense. The point here at one level is this, that it was God who gave life or animated his creation. And so animals are man. They are animated by God. But there's something important here also in this verse that we can easily miss. And it's this. When God created the animals and gave them life or this soul, he did it by his voice. He just spoke and it happened. When God created man and created a soul, it was done a totally different way. It says that what God breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life. And so the point of this verse is that we become alive, but it's how we become alive. It's the breath of God. And so actually, part of God is put into our being, and that creates our soul. And at its core, then, it is a spiritual thing. Now, what's interesting about this is that the word life there, the breath of life, that's a Hebrew word that's kayim. Kayim is the Hebrew word for life, but it's a plural noun. And so it's when we talk about life in the Hebrew, it's always plural. Well, what does that exactly mean? Well, at one level, it means this, that life happens when we bring the body and the soul together together. The two of them form together to form life. And we are bodies with souls, and we are souls with bodies. And you really can't separate those two, although we do at death. And then God will reunite them at some point. But it's also talking about this idea that man comes together with God. And that's where life takes place. And the truth of the matter is we all have life because God breathes, us, breathes it into us. And he breathes it into us physically, and we get that. We're all here today living and breathing. But he breathes it into us also spiritually, and we need to be reminded of that. And so what I did this morning, just one second.
And since we really can't quite replicate the idea of, of God breathing life into us, I'd like to just use this this morning as a little bit of an example of if you can think of God breathing life into us and where we actually would have oxygen, where God breathes oxygen into us physically, but he also does that spiritually too. So let's just talk about the soul for a minute. What exactly do we mean? And I'm not trying to give you any specific um, like technical definition of it. I just want us to all get on the same page so we're talking about the same thing. So our soul is our inner being. Our soul is the immaterial part of us. Our soul is also the immortal part of us. It's what gives us life. It's what makes us who we are. It makes us a person. And at a very basic level, your soul is what actually creates your story. Or we live your, or you live your story out of your soul. And it involves your inner thoughts. It involves your affections. It involves your motivations. It involves your emotions. It involves your passions. It involves your leanings. It involves your beliefs. All of these different things are part of the inside of us that make us who we are. And so that leads us to the point that your soul is the essence of who we really are. But then it's more than that. Because the soul also involves the spiritual because it comes from God. And so your soul is where you connect to or relate to God. It's the place where we experience that connection. It's the place where faith takes root. It's that sense that we have inside us that there's something more than just us in this world and that we had to come from somewhere and that we're all going to somewhere and that there really is a a larger thing out there than just we are. Our soul is also what reflects God, and it's actually what makes us completely human. And we're not completely human without a soul, but we're not completely human without the spiritual side of of life. But here's the cool thing, I think. The soul is where your story unfolds. And you can't separate your story from your soul because that's who you are, but you can't separate your story from God either because he's the one who breathes life into us. Well, we read on here, it says, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. And then there's a verse that we skipped over in chapter uh, 1. It says this, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the, the sea, the birds of the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. And the simple point here is the fact that God not only creates us, creates us with value, creates us with the soul. He also creates us with something that we're supposed to do or a purpose or a reason for us to be here. And so we could say this, your story is actually, and we're talking about stories, your story is actually how we match your soul with your purpose. And we could go on a long uh, talk there, but I'm going to hold that off for another time. But I just want to, to, to focus this morning on exactly what we need to be doing about this thing that's called the soul and how it can actually help us live that that fairy tale life that we'd like to have. Well, we read in chapter 2, and I'm on verse number um, 16. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat of it, you will certainly die. And so God comes to Adam, and he's a, a man there. He's had the breath of God in him. He's got a body. He's got a soul. And God says, okay, there's one tree here. You can't eat of it. 
Because if you eat of this tree, you're going to die. And by that, he means you're going to die physically. And that's, you know, your body. But he's also talking about the idea that it's going to affect it, your soul, and you're going to die spiritually. And so they're given this instruction for the purpose of making a point here. And it's this. You have the responsibility for your soul. God gave you a body. God gave you a soul. And you are responsible for that. And so the choices that you make affect the soul that you have, and the choices you make reflect how you are treating this soul that God gave you. And so if we're going to properly care for ourselves, we have to properly care for our soul. And if we don't, we get into a mess, and that's exactly what happens here in Genesis chapter 3. So we jump over to the next chapter that can continue the story here. Now the serpent, verse number 1, was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit in the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. And it sounds like a very physical conversation here. If you eat of that tree, well, it's going to affect you physically and you're going to die. But then it gets interesting. It says, verse number 6, or excuse me, uh, Verse number four, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, we're moving from the physical into the mental. He keeps going. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable, now we're into desires, for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And so what happened here is this temptation went from being highly physical to being highly spiritual or actually to affecting not just the body, but to affecting the soul. And so they took the fruit there, it tells us in verse number six. She ate it, she gave some to her husband with her, he ate it, and then the eyes of them both were open, they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made covering, covers, uh, coverings for themselves. And so everything went completely haywire then, but why? It went haywire because they had actually violated their souls. It wasn't the fruit had some, like, physical properties to it. It was like this, you know, the poison apple that you eat and, and everything goes wrong. It was because in taking that fruit, they were disobeying or ignoring God, and they were affected by it. But what they have essentially did, they took that oxygen, and they just, you know, like, crimped that thing off, and all of a sudden, they were affected, not just physically, but on the inside, and they felt that. So what did they do? Well, they tried to hide. They, they made coverings for themselves. It's always interesting to me in the, in the story, that was so effective in covering themselves that when God came, what did they do? They still went and jumped behind a bush because it didn't work, and they sensed that. They were trying to take care of an internal problem with an external approach, and it didn't work. But here's the big point that I want us to get here. It's this. You do damage to your soul anytime you choose yourself over God. Or you could say it this way. You do damage to your story anytime that you choose yourself over God. And so they got into this situation where their story now is messed up. And we're actually where this flow of life that God wants to give them 
is not completely cut off because they're still alive and because they're still able to talk to God, but it's severely, severely damaged and strained, and that's where things are. Now, fortunately, God comes into the story, and he fixes that. But before we get there, just think about that first morning, where Adam and Eve were, because it might be where you are this morning. We do things that damage our soul. We ignore God. We go off and, and follow our own way. We make bad decisions, whatever it happens to be. And then we suffer the results, and we sense that something isn't right. So sometimes we put up a fake front, or we sense that something is missing, so we try to fill it with something. Or we sense that something's gone wrong, but we push down the feelings of guilt and shame. And what's happening is we're simply not getting enough spiritual air. And so we're gasping but we don't know where to go or how to fix that. And so we start reaching out to all of these different things to fix it. Or we start looking at ourselves, but it's hard to fix the problem when you're the problem. And so to change ourselves, we can't do it. We have to go back to actually the source, and that's God. And we have to ask him and we have to look to him to actually fix this fractured fairy tale that we are living. Well, the good news is this. God is in the business of restoring fractured souls and of fixing fractured fairy tales. See, our souls can be in various states of distress, but God says, okay, I can do something about that. And so let me just suggest a half dozen of those this morning with a question. How is it with your soul? Are you, like, breathing in God in, in great ways? Or are you feeling like the, the, the supply line there is pinched and you can't quite get enough air and you're struggling? Well, these are six different states of the soul that are, that are in distress. And maybe one of these describes where you are this morning. The first one is disconnected. The state of disconnection. God has given you physical life, but there's really nothing going on spiritually. You've never had an experience. We talk about that at the beginning of service, experience with God. You never actually had one of those. You've never had that moment where you've invited God into your life. You've never had that moment when you realized who Jesus was, what his story was all about, why he died on the cross was for your sin. You've never had that moment where you've accepted that gift of forgiveness with which came eternal life. And you're just completely disconnected from God. It, it would almost be if we just took this, this canister here. And it's like you never, ever got yourself plugged in there. You're just kind of out there on your own when the source of life is over here. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and that's where you are. You're disconnected. But for many, maybe most of us here this morning, we have been disconnected. But that doesn't mean that we're still getting the supply of spiritual air that we need to get. So maybe we would describe your soul this morning as damaged. I mean, you're a believer, but... You really haven't been following God closely. You're a believer, but you've been making, you know, pursuit of yourself the most important thing. You're a believer. You believe in God. You've trusted Jesus Christ. But, but there's really some things in your life that aren't what they should be. We call that sin. And we have all of these different things that are going on, and we find that our soul is damaged. And maybe that's where you are this morning. Your soul is damaged. And that lifeline that we're needing is severely impaired. The question is, does God actually have priority in your life? 
Maybe this morning we would describe your soul as depleted, empty, like dry. You know, not everything that like wars at our soul is a sin thing. Sometimes life just wears you down. Sometimes, you know, when you're a parent, your kid won't sleep and like you've been up, you know, every night for the last like six years and you're like, I got nothing left. We can be depleted. But what happens is when we get depleted mentally or we get depleted emotionally or we get depleted uh, relationally or we even get depleted uh, uh, um, physically, we have to draw reserves from somewhere. Well, where do those reserves come from? They come from this part of us that we would call the soul. And we suck the life out of ourselves trying to meet all those needs. And we get to the place and sometimes we're like, I just feel so worn down and so exhausted or so burned out. And you're not talking about being physically whipped. What are you talking about? You're talking about this idea that your soul is just running on empty. And maybe that's where you would find yourself here this morning depleted. Maybe you would find yourself despondent. And the idea here is just like, you know, you've kind of given up. Like, all right, life is just overwhelming me. Life is discouraging me. I'm depressed. I'm defeated. I'm just down in the dumps. And I'm just kind of like going through the, the motions. And I'm kind of like, what is the point of all of this? And we have a lot of people living in our world right now who are despondent. And we, we see this even in all of the, the mental health things and all of the, the, the tragic ends of, of some people's stories because they're despondent. And why are they despondent? It's because their soul doesn't have what it needs. And their soul is not getting the spiritual oxygen, the breath of God that it needs. Maybe you describe your soul as just deadened. You're just kind of numb. Like, yeah, whatever. And that's kind of how life is. There's no ups, there's no downs. It's just kind of like, eh. You know, in fact, if I get my hopes up, though, I just get disappointed. What's the point of that? You know, I hate living with disappointment. So I just kind of, like, shut everything down, and I just kind of mm, float through life. And if I'm completely honest, I'm completely dead. Like, nothing even affects me emotionally anymore. Like, nothing ever grabs me. Nothing ever, I mean, it's just like, eh. And every day is the same over and over again. Your soul's got something wrong with it. Or maybe you would describe it as, as this way, even deceived. And that one's a little bit hard because if you're deceived, you're not, you don't know it, right? And I always think that's kind of a, you know, a circular story. Like, okay, uh, if you know you're deceived, you're no longer deceived. But some of us are deceived into thinking that everything's okay because we don't know any better, because we've never tried a different way, because this is the way that it's always been, and we just assume that it can't get any better than that, and we're deceived into thinking that everything's okay when it's not okay. And, and we're deceived into thinking that we are getting the life that we need from God when we're not. And so we're just like constantly trying to do the best that we can and trying to make the best of what comes our way, and we are missing what God wants us to have. And we're deceived. And I suppose you could describe your soul in a number of other different ways this morning. But the question is still this. How is it with your soul this morning? But there's a reminder that you can't fix it yourself. You need God to step into your story and to help rewrite it. Or you need God to step into your story and to give you this spiritual oxygen that you need. Well, the last point to make this morning is simply this. Your story will only be as good 
is the condition of your soul. And we started at the beginning to say, you know, we all want to live this fairy tale life and we all want it to be a happily ever after. And it doesn't always go that way. In fact, it doesn't go that way for any of us. But the closer we get to God, the more we give attention to our soul, the more likely we are to get closer to that happily ever after that God offers to us. So how do we do that? How do we give attention to our soul? It's not complicated. In fact, I'm going to share some things that you've probably heard hundreds of times. But it's simply this. It's giving attention and giving priority to the spiritual part of your life. It might mean getting yourself to church. That's an important part of our lives spiritually. It means prayer. That's the easiest way that we can connect with God. And when I pray, what do I do? I just open up this life that God wants to give us. We could talk about Bible reading. When we get into God's Word, the spiritual comes alive and awaken us. We can talk about maybe you're a journal or maybe you like to meditate. We can talk about spiritual retreat. We, we could talk about all of these different things, but the idea is to say, you know what? I am a soul, not just a body. That soul is the spiritual part of me, but my story will only be as good as the condition of my soul. So I am going to make that a priority in my life. I'm going to give attention to it. I'm going to pay attention to what's going on in me. And if I am experiencing inner turmoil or inner defeat or frustration and all of these things that are weighing me down or knocking me down, it's in Indicative of a soul issue, well, then I can fix it or I can be fixed by reconnecting to the source of life. And we all depend on God for life every single day. Physically, God could take your life at any moment. The fact that you breathe human air is just a gift from God. But at the same time, God offers us a story that's beyond just the physical. It's a story that's in the realm of the uh, immortal. It's in the realm of the invisible. It's in the realm of the spiritual. And God invites us into that story, but we have to give attention to our souls. So this is the story of you. It's the story of you physically, spiritually. It's the story of your soul. Let's write good things. Let's pray. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Just two quick questions here this morning. First of all, are you connected to God? That's through Jesus Christ, through accepting the gift of salvation, forgiveness of sins, have you invited him into your life? That's what establishes that connection to that source of life. Have you ever made that decision? Have you ever asked Jesus to forgive you, to come into your life, to lead your life? Have you ever committed to following him? It's the most important decision you can make, and without it, you will never experience the life that you can. You're disconnected. But you can do something about that this morning by inviting Christ into your life. Maybe you've done that. Maybe you've taken that step. The next question is, how are things with your soul? 
How would you describe it this morning? Does it fit into that list that I shared? Maybe you have a different word that would describe it. Maybe it's restless. Maybe it's frustrated. Maybe it's defeated. I don't know. What's the state of your soul? But then there's a third question, too. What will you do about it? It starts by going back to God and saying, God, I don't like where I am. God, I need your life. I need that oxygen to flow again. And please help me. And maybe it's making a commitment to just giving priority to the spiritual in your life again. Will you do that? God, we come this morning grateful for this gift of life that we have physically, grateful for the gift of life that we have spiritually too. Pray that you would just take this this week and encourage us with this, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we take some time here this morning.